Gender equity, diversity, and inclusion during the Great Resignation. According to the Qualtrics 2022 Employee Trends Report, an estimated 32% of female leaders globally plan to leave their current job. Over the past 18 months, we have seen a mass exodus of employees leaving their jobs in a phenomenon we call the Great Resignation. Many workers are experiencing stress and anxiety, which has led to pandemic burnout and a decreased sense of belonging. Now more than ever, companies need to focus on equity, diversity, inclusion, and accessibility to break barriers and pioneer workplaces where everyone is valued, respected, and belong. When we lean in with empathy, we tap into our humanity, which is the common bond that unites us all. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by a member of my Ronset Equity Diversity and Inclusion crew, or Ready crew, Nino Campos. Today, we're speaking with the phenomenal Gabby Natale, a top leader, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and author of the acclaimed book, The Virtuous Circle, Restore Your Confidence, Bounce Back, and Emerge Stronger. Gabby uses her platform and voice to speak up for all of those who feel marginalized. She is a true pioneer with the distinct honor of being the first Hispanic author to be published by HarperCollins Leadership Division. Gabby was also recognized by People Magazine in 2018 as one of the 25 most powerful Latinas. Following her historic achievement of winning not one, not two, but three back-to-back Daytime Emmy Awards. Welcome, Gabby. Hola, Odra. Hola, Nino. Thank you so much. We're so excited. <laughs> We're so excited that you're joining us today. I mean, this is, we just so appreciate your time, Gabby. So let's jump right into the questions. So Gabby, like you, I have been, as you termed, a pioneer, the only one or the first one in many stages of my career. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what motivates you to keep pushing to the next level. Absolutely. So my story is all about breaking barriers. I mean, uh, as you said, being sometimes the first one or the only one in spaces. And as a result of that, I had to learn, you know, and this is a lot of inner work to embrace my uniqueness and redefine what was possible for someone like me. Because when you step into the unknown, when you take this leap of faith, when you go to places or spaces where there are not people who look or sound like you or have the same background as you, you have to do a lot of additional inner work (laughs) to first feel that you are deserving of being in those spaces and then even to be more ambitious and to move forward with your career. So let me tell you a little bit about my background. I am from Argentina. I am an immigrant. I am a journalist and an entrepreneur, a speaker, an author. But when I was in my early 20s, I, what I was, my title was unemployed. I was a recent graduate mm-hmm, with a master's degree. And like any graduate, I wanted to take over the world, but the world had a different plan for me. <laughs> in Argentina at the time, in the year 2001, there was 20% unemployment. There were riots in the street, incredible instability. We had five presidents in 10 days. And uh, and really, if I don't know how many people listening to this have been through unemployment, but when you spend a long time without a job, you start to believe that the lack of response, Audra, you get from the world uh, is a reflection of who you are as a person or as a professional, and you start getting depressed. And by the most kind of random, if you believe in luck or synchronicity, if you believe in synchronicities, way, I ended up working for free for a friend 
who was part of an international summit in Buenos Aires and assigned me the, the work of handing out flyers and moving chairs. And I accepted it as a favor for free for my friend. And then next thing that I know is that the translator for that international summit canceled last minute. And there was a whole delegation of professors coming from George Washington University that needed somebody who could translate. And that was the beginning of what we now call a telework relationship. And then one day when they had an opening in their public relations firm in Washington, D.C., who was top of mind to take advantage of that opportunity, yours truly, and that's how I came to the United States. Wow, Gabby. Talk about pioneer. You not only <laughs> broke into the, the industry of journalism, but you also international business at the same time. You know, you went from unemployed to an international sought after worker. So that's amazing. I'm just so excited about that. So Gabby, tell me a little bit, you know, just jumping now to look at the last two years, we've been dealing with this global pandemic, social unrest, the great resignation. We've lost so many talented women in the workplace. How can women redefine and transfer themselves for the next stage of their journey? Like you redefined yourself. So what, what advice do you have for other women? Yeah. Well, I would like to put some context on this because, unfortunately, even before the pandemic, women's time, women's dreams have traditionally and historically been the adjustment variable every time something goes off balance. So let's think about, let's think about our families, let's think about our communities. If somebody is elderly and gets sick, more than likely it's a woman that is going to be the caregiver. If there's a little kid and gets sick, more than likely it's going to be the woman who calls in to her work and says, I cannot come today. And that's just two, two examples of everyday situations in which women's time and women's dreams and careers are the, the, the adjustment variable. And I think the pandemic here, what it put front and center is how much of this time and energy and dreams we have to sacrifice for others. And we have normalized it because if kids had to learn because the school was closed, more than likely it was the mother and not the father. If it was a um, um, heterosexual relationship, more than likely it was the woman and not the man, the one that took over that uh, responsibility. And now with the pandemic that was put front and center, but it's just an exponential example of something that had been already happening. So I believe that first we have to create organizations, systems, and work environments that will support these situations. So there's like three different battlegrounds, if you want to call it. One is us internally prioritizing our time and our dreams, setting boundaries. The second one is relationships inside our own relationships, making sure that the distribution of this work is more fair with our significant others and with our families. And the third one, once we reach critical mass, is systemic. It's organization. It's enough women and allies of women making the demands to change for pay parity, for working conditions that will allow us, as women, not to have to make these incredibly difficult choices of, you know, hurting one aspect of our lives or hurting another one. 
Wow, Gabby, that's powerful. That was a mic drop there. I have to tell you, for all working women with other, you know, responsibilities outside of work, that is just amazing. You know, they used to talk about before the pandemic work-life balance. And I just, I said, I just gave up that fantasy. I just believe in work-life integration. You know, you have to integrate work into your life. It doesn't, there is always never going to be an equal balance of it. And also we have it so much internalized, uh, these systems. For example, I come from a family where my mother is a working mother, is a strong woman. But you know what? When it was the time to clean the dishes, we all take it as a natural thing that it was the women in the family who were taking care of the dishes and the men in the family were watching soccer on Sundays. So even in families where mothers and fathers tell you you can do whatever you want with your life, it is sometimes assumed or understood that our time as women is not as valuable. And you can see that even in the beauty industry. They would never tell a man to take 10 or 20 steps to get their skin ready or their makeup if they were beautiful. (laughs) But why is it that we as women, yes, it's very normal. We can take 35 steps before we leave the home (laughs) so that we just look good. And it's normal for us. But if you think about it, I don't know how many products ask men to take 20 to 35 steps to be at the door. My husband would not do it at all. You're right. Men get to shower and go. We have to do so much just to get to get to the door. So, oh my gosh, Gabby, that is so, that is amazing. Let's switch gears and talk about your book, The Virtuous Circle, which is amazing. If you have not picked up this book, it, you know, please, please pick it up. One of the questions that really just jumped off the page for me in the beginning of the book was, do you feel like there's a treasure inside of you? And then you talked about the first archetype, which is described as the dreamer. Why is it so important for people to visualize and see that greatness on the inside? I think that's the foundation for everything else. So uh, let me give some context. The virtuous circle, it's a circle that it's divided in seven different parts. Imagine a pizza and you're looking at pizza from the upside and you're seeing all the slices. So there are seven slices. Each one is an archetype. And it represents a different stage in your journey. It starts with the dreamer and it finishes with the leader. Uh, And so the first one is that unto each archetype corresponds an action. And so to the dreamer corresponds the act of visualization. Because everything we see in the world from robotics to women's rights from the things that now are a reality but used to be some crazy fantasy they were all in someone else's mind before they become a reality. So that's why the dreamer is so important. And I think for many of us who come from underrepresented backgrounds, we have to feed that inner dreamer, that visualization, that seeing it in my mind, you know, and being, I always say, like, maybe you can be your Steven Spielberg of movie directions in, in your own head. You know, you're the, the visualization can be so needed, so rich, that you can feel like you're directing your own movie. And there are two things that I think are very important is, first, that you know that you're capable. And the second one is that you know that you're deserving of that dream. And both of them have to be at the same time capable. You know, you can learn, you know, you can always acquire new skills or you can always improve your skills. But the one that goes deeper is the one that 
it's about feeling deserving of that dream because it's very hard sometimes to feel that you are deserving of a certain position or of a certain leadership role when you grew up and couldn't see anyone like you in those roles. So you have to do the inner work of nurturing your inner dreamer, visualizing and understanding, having that inner knowing that you're not only capable, but deserving of that dream. Wow, excellent, Gabby. I love that. You know, especially feed the inner dreamer. That's something, you know, especially for women, you know, you feel a little bit we were talking about earlier about the whole, you know, work-life integration and other outside responsibilities, you know, you feel a little bit guilty to feed your inner dreamer sometimes because you feel like you should be doing something else. So more productive, but that is a big part of the work. So very powerful. So Gabby, another phrase in your book, I love this, the whole story, but you're then your husband, which is, was then your boyfriend. And you said this phrase in the book and I just, oh my God, it just stopped me in my tracks. And it said, I didn't want fear to decide for me. That is so powerful. Just that one phrase, because a lot of things don't get, you know, get done in life because of fear. You know, sometimes we let fear hold us back. You know, the most, I, I heard someone say one time, the wealthiest place of information are in the graveyards and cemeteries because people did not bring forth that greatness, did not bring forth their vision, did not bring forth or execute on anything. And you know, tell us a little bit, you know, your, some of the audience members, how do you push past your fear, you know, to even write this book? I mean, this is, this has got to be your life love, a love of your life, or, you know, it's almost like a love story to everyone who, you know, felt less than everybody that felt like the underdog. You talked about that, the open letter in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a funny story, Audra, because it's an unconventional story of how a book came to life. I have the idea. I have it in, in my concept. I have a place in my backyard that I call it the vortex because it's like ideas come to my mind in the vortex. <laughs> <laughs> and so one day, you know, the whole circle with the seven archetypes came to my mind. And I said, this is so precious, you know. This is so good. I love it. And so I said, I'm going to save it in a safe place. I'm going to hide it. And then I forgot where I <laughs> put it. <laughs> and then I had to do it again. But here's the funny story. You know how there are so many conferences and events. And when you work in media, sometimes they uh, you're asked to MC or to moderate different panels. And that was something normal. You know, I was so used to doing that. But then there was another conference, which is amazing. It's called We All Grow Latina. I recommend it for all Latinas and people from all walks of life. And they had an activity that was called storytelling. And they invited me to go on the stage. And instead of being an MC, instead of being a moderator, instead of being protected by this preconceived role that I am the journalist, I had to share a real life story. And I said yes. And you know one of those projects, Odra and Nino, when you say yes and the moment comes and then you say, why on earth did I say yes? <laughs> it was one of those things. And I said, oh, my God, I said yes. Now what am I going to do? I have to share. I mean, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it for real. I'm going to share like a vulnerable moment and I'm going to go to the stage. And it was kind of like a, like a nightmare. You know, the date was approaching. 
And what I did is I shared the story, this story of being unemployed in Argentina and almost giving up of my, on my dream and feeling that I was not deserving of working in media. And, you know, I left the stage. We, I connected with the audience. It was a really nice moment. And I left the stage feeling a victory over myself because that's what I did. I didn't, I didn't uh, allow fear to decide for me. But what I did not know is that in the audience that day, there was a book agent. And she reached wow. out to me. Mm-hmm. And she had talked about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and putting yourself out there and doing the thing you did or wanted to do, but you, you knew you had to do it. And it, it's, it's one of those moments when I think it's the universe rewarding you for putting yourself out there. And this literary agent reached out to me after, after that keynote. And she said, yeah, like, there's, there's a book here. And I said, yes, there is. You know, I already have the circle written on everything. And just a few, a few months later, she pitched it. And HarperCollins said yes. And then the rest was developing what I already knew was in my mind because the seven archetypes and the circle and the heart of that book was already written in my heart. Wow, Gabby. Oh my goodness. That was just, that gave me chills. You got on stage, you were vulnerable. You shared something very personal about your journey in a story. And you caught the eye of the very person that was a catalyst for your book. That is amazing. And all the That's time- That's a book in I, itself. Yeah, <laughs> and all the time, Odra, I was thinking- Oh my God, my clients are going to see this. Oh, this is going to be so bad for my reputation. <laughs> oh my goodness. Little did they know. Oh my gosh. So now I'd like to pass it off to Nino Campos, who's got some additional questions. Nino? I'm just sitting here in awe and inspired. And again, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to speak with you. And I so much wanted to comment. I think that this is not only gender specific, but your inspiration goes, right? The, like you just said, those things that make you most uncomfortable, make them the most comfortable to be successful. I think that's just so powerful. So thank you for sharing that. And so going to straight back to who you are and your core beliefs and, and supporting and being a mentor, but as a world-renowned Latina author and media personality, do you often feel that you're speaking on behalf of all young Latinas or Latinas in general? Well, I don't want to like proclaim myself like I am speaking on behalf of any, anyone, you know, because I don't know if they would say the same. But what I do know is that young Latinas sometimes, many times, you know, they, they write me letters, they send me their messages, they say it's how important it is for them to see themselves represented in different spaces. And one of the, for me, one of the strongest experiences of feeling that I had an impact in young Latinas was when I did my TED Talk, which is called Pioneer, How to Be What You Can't See. And it's about this representation and, and, and coming from a minority background and putting yourself out there. And when I left the stage, there was one girl who came to me and she hugged me and started crying. And I didn't understand why she had such a visceral, such a strong reaction to the speech. And what she mentioned is that 
this was the first time she saw a speaker like her, a Latina who was an immigrant, on a stage speaking with an accent, with a thick accent like the one she had and like the one she was so embarrassed by that she would not present in front of her class, in front of the rest of the students, because she was so self-conscious about it. And that's why every time I do a keynote, more and more, I talk about accentism. We don't talk enough about accentism. What we are going through right now in the world is when we're going through an unprecedented demographic change at a global scale. And that means that the faces of our customers, our leaders, our consumers, our audiences are changing and things that were acceptable before, like asking people in the corporate world or even in universities to neutralize their accent, which is such a vital part of our identity, of who we are, does not have to be acceptable anymore because it has a very precise impact on people's careers on people's promotions, on people's abilities to to take leadership positions. And it took me a long time for me when I first arrived in the in the United States to to feel comfortable enough to go to the stages or to work on camera in English. Or like for example, when I when I did my book, I was very intentional and determined that I would be the narrator of the audiobook because this was a leadership book that I had written and leaders we come in all shapes, all sizes, all colors and all accents and this is a conversation that I want to bring to the front. And when I open up about it, I have so many people who come and say, "Oh, thank you because, you know, I was scared to do this or to do that in public because of my accent." And that should not happen anymore. Wow. I mean, how empowering for that that young girl to see something so powerful, right? And that you're able to go up there and change lives like that. I mean, it's, it's, you just showed the impossible is, is always possible. So thank you. What a great story. Uh, but let's change it now into like the, the workplace, right? So in terms of workplace culture, how can we reimagine equity, diversity, and inclusion and doing so by approaching it with the same curiosity and excitement as a child? So that's an interesting question. I um I thought about it for a while and I think that we can do it by embracing uh the um the the mind of a child which is no prejudice. We are having in a way everyone who is working on diversity, equity, inclusion, how to change culture, we are in a ground and we are in a space that does not ha- I mean Whoever's working in arithmetics, they have hundreds, if not thousands of years of experience and people who's done this work before them. These are conversations that are new in corporations. These are conversations that we were not having maybe 10, 15, 50 years ago. So I think that, of course, leaves us sometimes feeling like, hey, there's there's not so much of a roadmap on how we have to implement this in an organization, in a corporation. But at the same time, it allows us to have the mind of a child, to have this curiosity and excitement that there is nobody who can say, you know, I have the perfect solution. I have the perfect formula. We're all learning 
as we go. And we're all learning also about our own bias. Even if we teach these topics, we're all learning about our own ways of improving. So I think that's the way to have an, a mind of a child, a mind with no prejudice, a mind that allows you to explore, a mind that allows you to, to try new things when you're doing this work. That is a way in which we can incorporate that attitude of a child in the work we're doing to provide more understanding between people. And I think this podcast is uh, empowering me more than <laughs> I can believe. I, I feel rejuvenated. And that child to have this opportunity insight to start being a professional, I think this is amazing. Uh, so this next question, Gabby, is really something that hits home. But in your book, you share excerpts from some of your interviews. And, and one of them was particularly excited me that I read about was Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana was actually a close friend of my father. And, and Carlos Santana's sister was actually closer with my father. My dad played professional soccer. In Outland, Mexico or in the United States? My father played for the national El Salvadorian team. And then he played for the World Cup for the New York Cosmos. Oh, wow. So he had the opportunity to meet uh, Carlos Santana quite a few times and, and his sister. So this is why it was an interesting read to see that you you you, under, uh, you met him and, and you've had some stories with that. And so you discussed healing from trauma and how Carlos and, and also how Carlos became liberated. So that being said, and knowing who Carlos Santana is and and how and your story, how would you apply that to the workplace? Can we heal the trauma from some employees' experiences through microaggressions and biases? So let me tell you, because we share this in common, I too was a very big fan of Carlos Santana, and it's no accident that I chose him for that interview, uh, for the book and for, for my TV show. Something that you mentioned in your question was, was what, in addition to Supernatural being the soundtrack of so many moments in my life, his album, I knew, because I read his biography, that he had gone through major trauma when he was a little kid. Um, and he he shares in, in his book and also in many interviews that as a child he had been sexually abused and that it took him a long time to be able to talk about it and to be able to process it. And of course, you know, microaggressions at, at work are something that is very different. It's apples and oranges. But there is something that really resonated with me from the conversation that we had. The number one question that I wanted to ask him, because I knew he had gone through such delicate moments when he was a kid, was, Carlos, at what moment did you realize you had what it takes to become a rock star? Because when you see that childhood in a dysfunctional family, in Outland, Mexico, in such a humble place, and everything that happened when he was a kid, you would never tell, you know, that he would be then the person who became the legend that he is. So when the interview was approved and we traveled to Las Vegas and he received us in his private rehearsal studio, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this question that I really want to do. And so I, you know, hold my breath and I said, Carlos, at what point did you realize you had what it takes to become a rock star? And in a very Carlos Santana-esque, super cool way, he looked at me and he said, Gabby, I was always a rock star. 
They just didn't know it. I was always a rock star. They just didn't know it. And that, you know, that quote from Carlos stayed with me and still stays with me for such a long time because it's it's this knowing that sometimes people don't see you for the, the treasure that you have or for the talent that you have, but that over time, when you have that knowing and, and you know, with such a crystal clear vision that you are the rock star, they just didn't know it, amazing things happen. And a, a little kid from Outland who had nothing, who was sexually abused, who had a dysfunctional family, grows to become and, and blossoms to become this incredible, talented artist who had the knowing from the beginning that he was a rock star. They just didn't know it. I got goosebumps more now than I ever did. I bet Audra has something to say about this. I mean, if you haven't picked up the book, you have to pick it up. I mean, this is just an example of what's in what's what Gabby has experienced. I, I think it's just absolutely not just brilliant, but it, it's a feel and empowerment book that it'll just encourage you to even be better to see yourself even as a great person and and be able to get through through whatever you need to get through. So again, thank you. Thank you, Gabby, for that. <laughs> but like, again, Gabby, in your book, you talk about being an architect of energy. Can you share with your audience why this is so important when you are trying to develop a confident mindset and a plan? Yes, because, well, the architect is one of the archetypes. You know, we talked about the dreamer. That is the one that allows you to visualize there's another one that is called the architect and the architect in you is the one that allows you to plan. And we use our architect every day. Uh, the architect in you is the one that is planning meals if you're on a diet. The architect in you is the one that is budgeting if you want to save. So we already have it incorporated. But being an architect of your energy has to do with your priorities. Sometimes our energy goes to things that are not our priorities. But, you know, we get caught on a comment or we get caught on a conversation or we, or we get caught on a negative dialogue that we tell ourselves. So we have to be very self-aware and intentional of being architects of our own energy, uh, because that is really the difference between what I call bursting, you know, and so you're just reacting. You have a stimulus coming to you and you just react, you know, like you have no choice. And the other one is the second option is you have an input or something happening to you and there's this little space. You allow yourself to have this little space and decide how you're going to respond. And there's a small example that I share uh, from everyday life in my book, which is so many times, you know, people are planning their wedding, such a long time, a lot of money planned on that wedding and there's rain on your wedding day. And so how are you going to remember that day? Are you going to remember that day as the day that you wanted to be perfect and that, you know, you spent so much money and so much time planning and it didn't really happen as you wanted. So your energy was there and it's left there. Or it's, is it going to be remember as the day you dance under the rain or the day that, you know, things didn't go your way, but still you had that space to make the decision to enjoy it and to embrace it and to choose how you were going to respond to that situation that you have in front of you. 
Now I have to echo that was a mic drop right there. I thought I was going to tell you that this is going to be my New Year's resolution, but now it's my <laughs> life, my lifetime resolution in the sense that I will be the architect of my energy and be positive and know that I'm brilliant as well. So I thank you for empowering me. So again, I pass it again to another brilliant, if not my leader, uh, Audra. <laughs> Gabby, Gabby, oh my goodness, you brought it today. I'm so excited. Oh, this has just been a phenomenal conversation. I wish Nate and I could talk to you all day, but I know your time is important. So Gabby, I've got a couple more questions for you. First and foremost, I'm a real strong believer in morning meditation and setting a positive intent and affirmations before starting my day. In your book, I love the maker step in your virtuous circle because I feel like that really sets you up for success. Can you share why people fall short on executing on their dreams? Absolutely. So the maker step, the maker up archetype is the one in you that allows you to execute your dreams. So we talked about the dreamer, that is the one that allows you to visualize your dream. And then the architect, that is the one that allows you to plan for your dream. But so many people, Odra and Nino, so many people tell me, you know, I'm one of those people who are always daydreaming. I'm one of those people who are always making plans, but I never get to execute. If that is you listening to this podcast, then you have to nurture your inner maker, which is the one that allows you to execute. And I feel, uh, you know, connecting the different questions and the different topics that we have discussed today, I think we're all figuring out right now what our inner maker is telling us makes sense. Like the big resignation in a way means that. Uh, how do I want to execute my dream? What does success mean like to me? Because so many people are changing careers, are looking for more purpose, are looking for ways to incorporate things from their life to their job and from their job to their life. So I feel like the way we describe success and the way the maker was embraced before the pandemic has changed in a way. And we are all looking for our own formula, our own personal formula of what executing our dreams in a successful way looks like. For example, in one part of the dream, I talk about like a thermometer, the optimal sustainable <laughs> performance. And so it's like a scale on the right. There are all things that will make you perform maybe in more focus levels, less relaxation, more focus. So maybe there's people who are part of the 5 a.m., morning club and there's people who have certain routines and then on the left are more relaxed activities so maybe it's waking up later or maybe it's you know taking more time off and in that scale I think like we're looking for our own personal combination the one that makes sense and if you go too much to the right too much to the focus then maybe it's optimal but it's not sustainable. And if you go too much to the left, to the relaxation, yes, it's sustainable to send one sales email per day, but is it optimal? Is it really going to bring you the results? So we're all looking for our own way to execute and our own way to find meaning and redefine what success looks like for each one of us. Wow. So Gabby, picking back on that, if you had to go back and speak to 20-year-old Gabby, what is the best advice you would give to set yourself up for the success you have today? I don't know if for the success, but I will have some advice. You know, I mean, we're all smart when we look back. It's not that easy to be <laughs> smart when you're 
<laughs> yes, yes, we're all wise. We're all wise when we know the future. But a couple of things that I would told my version of myself in my 20s or even in my 30s, to not worry so much, to trust the process a little bit more, to don't be so hard on myself. I remember when I turned 30 that I was crying in the shower because a business pitch that I thought was so important and that would be life-changing did not come through. And that business pitch was not at all that important looking back. <laughs> it was not meaningful at all, but in that moment. And now I look back and I say, like, I'm not going to turn 30 again in my life. And I want to be wiser, you know, and I, and I don't want to be turning 40 or 50 or whatever ages I have ahead of me. And like thinking that things that at the moment, at the time, feel like they are so important or so meaningful, ruining a special day, ruining a special uh, time. So that's something that I would say to myself. And then on a more frivolous note, I would congratulate myself for embracing sunblock early on for my skin. (laughs) (laughs) You beautiful skin. Thank you. But there's a note that I would add to that congratulations that would say, please make sure that you're also applying the sunblock in your neck because you didn't and it shows. So <laughs> that's <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that's an addition that I will have on the note. You know, you can always you cannot always get everything right. You know, I got just the first half right. Oh my goodness. All right, listeners, so don't forget, apply the sunscreen. <laughs> so that's also important. in the, not just in the face, like I did, also in the neck. <laughs> Everywhere their skin is exposed, apply the sunscreen, according <laughs> to Gabby Natale. Yes. Okay, so Gabby, uh, one last question. You know, I love to ask for Gus. What do you want your legacy that, that your family and fans remember the most about you? Um, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about legacy like i you know when i leave then the new ones take over or you know i don't spend that much time you know thinking about that but i do want to share a little story with your audience that might help them regardless of where they are uh, sometimes people ask me what is the number one mistake that is blocking people's potential and i always say that the number one thing that blocks our potential is that we jump to permanent conclusions based on temporary circumstances. Mm. We jump to permanent conclusions based on temporary circumstances. And I, and I did that early on when I was unemployed in Argentina. I remember one day when I was feeling so low, looking at the television, and I was looking for jobs and with no, no luck. And I started looking at the daytime show And the host, she was a larger-than-life woman, and she had the quality that only amazing TV hosts have. That is that she made you forget about all your dramas. And so I started laughing. I was depressed, and I started laughing because of what was happening on the TV. And I carelessly, just accidentally, told my husband, hey, in my next life, I want to be like she is. In my next life, I want to work in media. I want to do what she's doing. And my husband, who loves me so much and was my boyfriend at the time, paid attention and asked me a life-changing question. If this is something that makes you feel so excited, if this is something that makes you laugh when you are feeling down, why are you going to wait 
till your next life to do it. Wow. I was Audra, I was only 24 years old at the time, and I was this close to giving up on a dream that time proved was within my reach. It was not easy, it was not immediate, it was not an easy ride. But I, that's why I like to tell people, don't jump to permanent conclusions based on temporary circumstances. And we've been through very tough temporary circumstances recently. So I don't want anybody to give up on their dreams because of that. Powerful. You <laughs> brought it today. Thank you, Gabby Natale. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. This has been phenomenal. Let our listeners know how to get in contact with you, where they can buy your book, The Virtuous Circle, Restore Your Confidence, Bounce Back, and Emerge Stronger. Absolutely. Audra and Nino, thank you so much for this conversation. I had a wonderful time. And thank you for doing all the homework and being so intentional in your questions. I love the conversation. And for everyone who is listening, I'm Gabi Natale. You can find me on social media at Gabi Natale in my website, gabinatale.com. And then, of course, my book is The Virtuous Circle. It's in Spanish. It's in English. And if you already fell in love with this voice and accent of angels, you can have it narrated by yours truly in Audible and in any other of the audiobook platforms. I love it. Thank you, Gabby. And thank you, Nino, from our Ready Crew for another fantastic conversation. I also want to give a big thank you to our listeners globally. We so appreciate your support. In the words of Max Dupree, we need to give each other space to grow, to be ourselves, to exercise our diversity. We need to give each other our space so we may both give and receive such beautiful things as ideas, openness, dignity, joy, healing, and inclusion. Remember, when we celebrate diversity and inclusion, we celebrate humanity. Be sure to spread the word and tag our hashtag diversity deep dive podcast. Real diversity happens when we're actively engaged and positively working together towards change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the diversity deep dive podcast. Until next time, seek out ways to make a positive difference in the world, your workplace and community. Thank you. Thank you.